Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew continues his series in the Gospel of Matthew with his sermon entitled, The Deal of Your Life, preached on August 13, 1995. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 13. This morning I want to speak on the subject, The Deal of Your Life. The Deal of Your Life. We have heard about deals. I have heard of a deal a Japanese man made. He bought a painting of a flower for $52 million. And he loves this deal, this treasure, that he wanted to be buried with it. People are making deals every day. And I want to speak to you about the deal of your life. In this portion of scripture, Matthew 13, 44 through 46, just three verses. In these verses, we are given two very short parables regarding the kingdom of heaven. Together, they speak the same truth to us. You may find the kingdom of God accidentally. You may find the kingdom of God by seeking it. But the chief point of comparison in these two parables is this, that there is only one way of taking possession of this treasure called the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God has come. It is a kingdom. It is a rule of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is unlike all the kingdoms of this world. It is a kingdom that wars against the kingdom of this world, which is under Satan. And this kingdom of heaven completely defeats every other kingdom. It is a kingdom which alone has all authority and power to set the captives of Satan free forever. It is a kingdom that alone meets the need of every sinner. The kingdom of God in Jesus Christ forgives all our sins, removes all our guilt, removes once for all the wrath of God that is upon the sinner, removes the eternal judgment and hell. Kingdom of God alone removes for a sinner slavery to fear, slavery to fear of death. Kingdom of God is the realm of eternal life It is the realm of righteousness. It is the realm of true and lasting joy. So this parable or these parables are teaching that this glorious kingdom has now come in Jesus Christ. It is forcefully advancing, defeating every opposition, Jesus said, the blind receive sight. The lame walk. 
the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news of this advancing kingdom is preached to the poor. Notice it is preached to the poor. The king of this kingdom, Jesus of Nazareth, the eternal son of God, has come not to seek the righteous, not to heal the healthy, not to enrich the rich, not to seek those who are not lost. Jesus has come to make the poor rich. He has come to send the rich empty away. He has come to heal the sick and send the healthy sick away. He has come to find the lost and leave those who are not lost completely confused and bewildered. He has come to save the sinner and condemn the self-righteous. The way to this kingdom is Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the gate. He is the door. He is the key. He is the only king, only savior. He is the promised Messiah. He has come searching for his people, and he will save his people. The first point I want to tell you is this, the discovery of this deal. Due to frequent war and other reasons, like lack of banks, in ancient times in Israel, people buried their treasures. But then they would never come back because of death or other reasons such as amnesia to recover the hidden treasure. So in this parable, a man plowing the field or digging the field accidentally discovers a treasure. But the man in this parable was working in the field of another. He came upon the hidden treasure accidentally. Like the Philippian jailer, he was about to kill himself, and, and Paul said, don't do it. And the jailer cried out and said, what must I do to be saved? And the answer came back to him in the night from inside the jail. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So this man discovers this treasure and then covers it again. A smart move. If he had taken it out, the owner of the field will claim the treasure legally. So he covers it, covers it and goes away to sell all he had to buy it. The pearl merchant is one who is in the business of seeking finer things of life. He deals in precious and beautiful things. He travels great distances seeking for pearls. Unlike the man who accidentally bumped into hidden treasure, this pearl merchant is a seeker of truth. He likes to study philosophy. He wants to know answers to life's fundamental questions. Where do I come from? Where am I going? Is there a God? Is there life after death? Why there is war and conflicts in the world? 
why there is death. He's not just interested in making money or just eating and drinking and buying and selling and marrying and giving in marriage, planting and harvesting. He reads great books. He reads books on various religions. But he is not satisfied. What he discovers is treasure. Yes, treasure, but treasure that will become ashes. Moth destroys it. Rust destroys it. Thief breaks in and steals it. He is still seeking that one pearl of the greatest price, polytimos, in the Greek. And he finds it. Yes, the, the worker finds it accidentally, and the merchant finds it after some search. But my question is this, how can these people understand intellectually that what they have found is really treasure of infinite value, infinite worth. How can a sinner recognize the treasure, the pearl of great price? Because we read in the Holy Scriptures that every unbeliever is blinded by Satan, that he may not recognize Jesus Christ and be saved. And St. Paul speaks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and beginning with verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And I'm sure there are people here today who are so blinded. You have lived many, many years. You heard about Jesus Christ many times. But you are so blinded that you just cannot recognize the infinite worth of this Jesus Christ. And you are like those who spoke about Jesus in this way in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And verse 2, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. We considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted because he was the worst sinner ever lived on the face of the earth. That's what the unbeliever would say to the question, who do you say that I am? They are incapable of recognizing the glory and the beauty and the infinite worth of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14, the natural man, the unspiritual man, the man without the Holy Spirit cannot understand things that are spiritual. 
Paul says, we understood the gospel through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And in Romans chapter 8, we read this. The mind of an unbeliever is enmity against God. He's an enemy of God. He's opposed to God. He comes to church. That doesn't make any difference. He's an enemy in his heart and it is impossible for him or her to recognize the glory of Jesus Christ unless God gives him understanding. Now let me give you some examples of people who did not recognize this Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God, the Savior of the world, the King of the kingdom, who alone is able to usher you into it, that you may have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. There was a fellow by name Felix. He was a procurator of Judea. And let me read to you what he said in response to the gospel that was articulated to him by St. Paul himself. The 24th chapter of Acts, and beginning with verse 24, several days later, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix trembled, it says. He was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave when I find it convenient. I will send for you. Blinded. Couldn't understand who Jesus Christ is. Oh, he's a powerful man. He's a politician. He's a wealthy man. But he's an unbeliever. Blinded. And then in the 26th chapter of Acts, you find Agrippa and Festus. Two great people. Two politicians. Powerful people. They had the privilege of listening to Paul. And they did not believe in him. Well, look at Pilate. He saw Jesus Christ face to face. And Jesus spoke to him. But no, his eyes were blinded. They did not discover this treasure, this pearl of great price in the person of Jesus Christ. Religious authorities, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin... They heard from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. Oh no, they did not recognize him at all. Judas, he stayed with Jesus Christ three years. We knew what he loved. He loved money. He was a greedy person. He was looking for a political messiah who will increase the wealth of Judas. And after three years of association with Jesus Christ... This blind man sold him for that which he worshipped, 30 pieces of silver. And then we read about Demas. Paul says at the end of his life, Demas has forsaken me. Why? Having loved this present world, he discovered the treasure, the pearl of infinite price in the riches of this world. That's what he wanted and he left 
Saint Paul. And in the Old Testament you find a fellow by name Esau. And he sold his birthright for a cup of soup. Deals are being made every day. And so my question then is how in the world can anybody appreciate the person of Jesus Christ? Uh, My answer is impossible. It's absolutely impossible unless God regenerates him. And we are told in the third chapter of John this amazing revelation by Jesus Christ. John 3 and verse 3, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one, no one, you may be 55 years, 70 years, you are about to die, no one, you may be educated, highly educated, but no one, you may be politician, you may be shrewd businessman, doesn't matter, you may be a philosopher, it doesn't matter, you may be a poor person, it doesn't matter, no one, universal negative, no one can able to see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And so let us establish this truth that no one is able to appreciate intellectually the infinite worth of Jesus Christ and the infinite worth of the gospel unless he experiences this absolutely spiritual experience of regeneration. Yes, it must be revealed to us. And we are told in Matthew 11, beginning with verse 25, God reveals these things to infants and hides these things from the wise and from the prudent, from the know-it-all. So apprehension of this treasure apprehension of this pearl, one pearl of great price by the mind is the result of divine regeneration and revelation. Yes, we have to apprehend it by the mind. The unbelievers of the world, they have abandoned the mind. They cannot think straight. The Bible says so due to the noetic effect of sin. No unbeliever thinks straight in terms of eternal issues. Cannot think straight at all. But a Christian thinks first. He understands the gospel. Not only he understands the gospel with the mind. Point number two, the joy of this deal. In other words, emotion. This is a deal that affects your emotion, your heart. This is a deal that fills your heart with love and joy and peace and tranquility. And so we read about the joy. Apotes caras autu. From the joy of it. Should be translated that way. From the joy of it. In other words, when you are intellectually understanding the glory of Jesus Christ and the wonder of the gospel, it fills you with joy. And this joy is the greatest motivator for you to go. It says he went and he sells and he buys. We need motivation. And that motivation comes from intellectual apprehension of the infinite worth 
of who Jesus Christ is. More than gold. More precious than gold. More precious than pure gold. Sweeter than honey. That's what Christianity is all about. The psalmist in 73rd Psalm verse 25 says, On earth I desire nothing beside you. That is Jesus Christ. That is not only intellectual understanding, but there is the emotional motivation. Christian, if Jesus Christ doesn't motivate you, I have a question. I have doubt as to whether you have ever been born again and given an understanding of the nature of this kingdom. Maybe you are here disappointed at life. Unhappy, depressed. Sister, brother, you should pray to God and say, God, remove the scales from my eyes that I may know Jesus Christ and the knowledge of Christ will surely fill my heart with such love and motivation to do what is necessary. In St. John's Gospel 15, the chapter, and the 11th verse, we read this. Jesus Christ is saying, I have told you this. I have told you this so that when you understand the gospel, when you make the discovery who Jesus Christ is, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And First Peter 1 and verse 8 Speaking about believers in Jesus Christ who never met Jesus Christ. And believers in Jesus Christ who are experiencing great persecution and trouble and pain. St. Paul says this, 1 Peter 1 verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Think about it. Christian, brother, sister, somewhat depressed this morning. I want to tell you, your problem is not your problems. Is you have neglected in your understanding of Jesus Christ. You are so taken up with your problems that you have not looked to him who is able to fill your hearts with motivation, with power, with love, and with joy. He is more precious than gold. He is sweeter than honey. He is the food from heaven. It is the joy of the Holy Spirit. It is the joy of Jesus it is a joy that makes one rejoice, as St. Paul says, in the midst of tribulations also. So, the gospel affects first your mind, and secondly, it affects your emotion. And if you are not so affected, may God help you this morning by a new vision of the exalted Christ who is seated upon the right hand of God the Father in all his glory. Number three, the decision for this deal. We are talking about the will. It is by the will we make decisions. 
Yes, gospel affects the mind. Gospel affects emotion. And gospel affects mind. We do something about it. No sacrifice is too great to acquire this treasure and this pearl of great price. Let's turn to the book of Colossians and find out what Colossians says. In chapter 1 and verse 19 we read, For God was pleased to have all his fullness to dwell in him. In Jesus Christ. In Colossians 2 and verse 3 we read, In whom, that is in Jesus Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, He is wisdom. He is righteousness. He is sanctification. He is redemption for you and for me. This Jesus Christ appeared to the church of Laodicea and said, You are poor. You think you are rich. You are poor. You are wretched. You are miserable. You are blind. And he says, I counsel you to buy gold from me that you may be rich. This world man loves things, you know. Go home and read the great fool of Luke chapter 12. Remember that story whose land produced such bumper crops and he built a bigger barn and then he said to himself, my soul, take it easy. Enjoy life for a long time. And God said, you fool, your life will be snuffed out today. Then what do you do? And then he says, this is the way of all people who are not rich toward God. Well, look at the other fool. In the 16th chapter of Luke, there was a rich man who lived in luxury. He clothed himself with purple, and he had feast every day, even though the poor man, a beggar, was placed at his gate, but there was nothing given to him to eat, and they both died. And the poor man, who was a believer in Jesus Christ, ended up in heaven, and the other guy ended up in hell, and let me tell you, there is a hell. But the fools, the unbelievers, those who are perishing, their eyes are not open. They will not believe in Jesus Christ. And they will mouth it with the great reasonings. The one who uses the mind is the Christian. And the unbeliever will use his mind to cover up his lack of using his mind. And he will cover himself with philosophies and stupidities and all kinds of idiotic rationalities because his mind is twisted. You have spoken to your parents and your daughters and your uncles about Jesus Christ and all the nonsense they vomited at you. You thought it was reasoning. No, it is the mutterings of a twisted mind. This world man loves things. In the 19th chapter of Matthew, there is a rich young ruler. And he came to Jesus Christ and asked, what must I do to be saved, to have eternal life? He said, why don't you go and sell everything you have? 
and come and follow me, you will have treasure in heaven. Oh, his eyes were not opened. And the text says he went home sorrowful because he had a lot of wealth. Notice, if your eyes are open to see the infinite worth of the person and work of Jesus Christ, it secondly will affect your whole heart and emotion. You'll be filled with love and joy and feeling and motivation. And not only that, it moves to your will and you finally decide to make this deal. By selling all he has. First of all, Spurgeon says you should get rid of your prejudices. Unbeliever is filled with prejudices, isn't that true? You could see that in his opinion of Jesus Christ. He is prejudiced. But if your eyes have been opened, that prejudice will go away instantly. It will be vaporized. And you should sell your self-righteousness, your Phariseeism. And you should say, nothing in my hand I bring, but simply to thy cross I cling. Jesus never came to save the righteous. He came to save sinners. He came to find the lost. He came to heal the sick. And he will say goodbye to all sinful pleasures. If his eyes are open to the nature of the gospel. If he is born again, he will forsake the praises of men. And he will only want to receive praise and approbation and benediction from his God. And he will not mind if his own father or mother repudiate him because he believes in Jesus Christ. He will understand the cost of discipleship. Jesus said, you have to deny yourself. You have to hate your father, mother, your brother, sister, your own children, and your own life. He will do that. Because his eyes were opened, his hearts are affected, and his will is ready to do whatever God demands of him. Have you been negotiating with Jesus Christ? Then let me tell you, you are not born again. The man who is born of God will never negotiate with Jesus Christ. This, Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The kingdom of God has come in Jesus Christ. He is not for negotiation. Today's foreign policy is one of negotiation. In the olden days it was one of battle and win the battle. But let me tell you, Jesus Christ never negotiates with anybody. Least of all with you who is about to die. One foot is already in the grave. Why should my Christ negotiate with you? No negotiation. But let me give you some examples of people who understood Jesus Christ. Let, let's go to the book of Hebrews, and find a character from the Old Testament. His name was Moses. 11th chapter of Hebrews. Let me read to you verse 24. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's a sacrifice, isn't it? He sold it. He chose to be mistreated. That sacrifice 
along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. No sacrifice too great. Moses did not negotiate. Moses asked for the price, and this is the price. Forsake all, sell all, and he said, I would gladly do so. Look at St. Paul. And we read about him in Philippians chapter 3. A great man, man of wealth, man of distinction, education, erudition, man of position and power, great intellect. But listen to him, Philippians 3 verse 7, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. Now means what? Now having seen who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christos was the revelation that was given to him. Yes, not a blasphemer, not the greatest criminal of the world, but he is Christos, he is the fulfillment of the promise of the Old Testament. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Think about it. Or let's look at Old Testament. If you can find the book of Ruth, that is before 1 Samuel and after Judges, Two Gentile girls, one Orpah, the other was Ruth. And I have seen both in the church, Orpah and Ruth. Orpah is always happy and kissing, but her kiss will last only for a moment. But look at Ruth, verse 16 of Ruth. Chapter 1, but Ruth said, replied, Ruth was given an opportunity to go away from Jesus Christ, from the God of Israel, from the land of Israel. Go away to your own gods and your own country and your own relatives. You could find a husband there. Now look at the answer given because her eyes have been opened. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people be my people. And your God, my God. That's what it is. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He's a dangerous man. You shouldn't associate with a double-minded person. And some of you are double-minded even today. After many years of claiming to have known Jesus Christ, you are still double-minded. But listen to what Ruth is saying. Your God is my God. And finally, the possession of the deal. It's not only he willed it, he willed it. And he acted upon it. He acquired it, he possessed it. In the book of, in the Song of Solomon, 
the beloved says this two times. I am my beloved's and they are mine. Is that true? Is that what she said? No. This is the one pearl of the greatest price. We would like to say I am my beloved's and they are mine. That would be nice. God and Satan and world and flesh and lust and everybody else. No, this is the one pearl of great price. I am my beloved's and what? He is mine. Immediate purchase. It was a joyful purchase. Yes, it was an enriching purchase, let me tell you. (laughs) Who are we? Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. We are the nothings of this world. And we are told in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, He who was rich became poor, that we might become rich. It is an enriching purchase, sister, brother. Jesus Christ always enriches you. He fills your void and your emptiness, your nothingness. And let me tell you, it is a sure purchase. Jesus said, lay up your treasure in heaven where no man can enter and destroy. No rust comes into heaven. No thief can ever enter and take away that riches. It is a sure purchase. It is treasure in heaven. It is a free purchase. The book of Isaiah, 55th chapter, is very interesting. Look at the gospel call. It says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And God argues and reasons here. Why spend money on that which is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me, listen to me and eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the richest of fare. It's a free purchase. Salvation is by grace. It is free. And yet, you bought it. It is yours. Purchase means it costs infinite price. Purchase means it will belong to you, but it is given to you free. That's amazing. Let me tell you, it's a final purchase. Proverbs 23 and verse 23 says, Buy truth and sell it not. Because there is no reason to sell it. Why do we sell things? Because these things don't satisfy us anymore. The glitter is gone. The heart throbbing is gone. We even dispense with our own spouses. Once the spouse used to throb our hearts. Now... (laughs) Absolutely, there is no throbbing any place. And we dispense with spouse, properties and toys and paintings. After buying it, we feel I have felt this regret. I expected a lot of things and it didn't work out. But let me tell you, this is final purchase. There will be no regret. Let's listen to what Jesus Christ said. To this woman, Samaritan woman, this is what he said to her, John chapter 4, 
verse 13 and 14, Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, meaning money, meaning life in this world. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's final purchase. No regret. You are ever satisfied. There is no hangover. There is no depression. There is no gloom. Fellowship with Jesus is ever increasing knowledge of him and therefore ever increasing joy of him. Maybe you are one of those who will accidentally discover that treasure this morning. Maybe you are one of those who have been researching and you bought a lot of pearls but never satisfied you. Maybe you will want to put your trust in Jesus Christ. What must I do to be saved? What is the answer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what? You will be saved. And belief has an intellectual aspect. That's knowledge of the gospel. An emotional aspect. You love Jesus Christ. And there is a volitional aspect. You trust in him. You commit yourself to him. A lot of people don't want to marry. Do you know that? Because they want to be surrounded with lovers. They refuse to make a commitment. They love the world. And some love Jesus Christ too. But they will never make that commitment. But if your eyes are open, give an intellectual understanding of the glory and the beauty of Jesus, you will love him. When you discover he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That he was pierced and crushed for our iniquity. That's what faith is. Jesus is our treasure. And this treasure meets your every need. What's your need? Sin. That's a need, isn't it? Twisted in mind and heart and emotion. Lost. Guilt-ridden. Wrath of God abiding upon. Death. Hell. Fear. And slavery to Satan. These are needs of a sinner who is able to take care of that need, Jesus Christ, who came to destroy Satan and to free us from his slavery. Go home and read Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 41. Jesus speaks to Mary. Martha was distracted, a little bitter and complaining. And Jesus said this, Martha, Martha, you are cumbered about many things. Isn't that true of most of us? Divided allegiance. And then Jesus said only one thing is needful. One thing is necessary. And that one thing is the gospel, Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. One thing is needful. Well, that's a revelation, isn't it? We think... Hundred things are needful. And then Jesus commended Mary. Mary has chosen that good part. 
And then Jesus said, no one is able to take that away from her. Have you known this treasure, this pearl of great price in the gospel? Have you loved the gospel? And finally, have you trusted in the gospel? Have you possessed him? Let me tell you, he says, kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden, like a merchant seeking pearl. Meaning, we are talking about a king. Eternal God became incarnate. We are talking about Jesus Christ. And what should you do? Let me tell you. Nothing less than complete surrender to his rulership. Nothing less than total submission to Jesus Christ. On the one hand, it costs nothing. Salvation is free. On the other hand, it costs everything. And listen to this message. And it is going to do one of two things in your life. And listen to me very carefully. It will either increase your guilt. You will be like Pilate and Felix and Festus and Agrippa and Demas and Judas, having known and heard. You will despise him. Those who do not believe in him, they despise him and they walk away from him. What you are saying is, I do not consider this as the treasure, as the pearl of great price. And it will increase your guilt. And the other, the gospel will be fragrance of life. They would say, I surrender. I submit. I believe Jesus Christ. I repent of all my sins. That's what selling all means. I repent. What do you have to sell? <laughs> Nothing. And they will say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I belong to him. Hallelujah. And you will say, I am my beloved's, and he is mine. And the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, he gives you his joy. He tells you that your hearts are divided. Focus on Jesus Christ alone. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. So for we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our only Lord. Amen. Grace Valley Christian Center is committed to the unchanging truths of the Holy Scriptures. We have been proclaiming the whole counsel of God since 1974 through our weekly worship services, our website resources, and our publishing ministry. For more information about our church, to find more edifying sermons, or to order books by the Rev. P.G. Matthew, please visit our website at gracevalley.org.